one one line in that song in particular that that very very accurately rings true for the season that we are in church the faithful through generations just talking about how Jesus has been faithful God has been faithful to us in every season and everything that we have gone through in generation to generation to generation and this this is the the promise guys, that I don't know if you've been picking up on it, but we have been seeing that each week as we have been going through Exodus, that the same God who was the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of the people of the Old Testament, was then the same God of the New Testament and of over Christ and over Paul and the early church formation, and now even still today. So just as, I mean, thank you, John, thank you, team, for leading us just to sing, man, as we are reflecting on who God is, it's, it's not something totally new that we're just now learning. We, we are walking in the same path where many saints have trod is, is one, of, one of my favorite lines from a very old hymn. Um, but we are getting to place ourselves in that story. So if you guys have your Bibles with me, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 19. And just to give you a little little bit of a recap as to how we got here and where we're going over the next several weeks, especially as we build up to Easter there's a big thing to keep in mind that I've, I've tried to, you know, touch on a couple weeks here and there, and I realized it's been a few weeks. The book of Exodus kind of unfolds in a series of movements. So you get the first movement where Israel starts out far from God. Uh, Dwayne will tell you it was 430 years that Israel was in slavery to Egypt, because I learned that's, that's what he took away from one of those sermons. But Israel was in slavery at the beginning of this book, and they were crying out to God. This is the first several chapters. Then you see God raising up the literal Messiah in Moses to deliver and redeem his people. You saw then they actually physically left Egypt, and they started going out into the wilderness. And we're going to get to, in May, because we need a couple weeks to get ready for it, all of the some of the laws and regulations that God gives to his people at the back of the book of Exodus, which, you know, maybe you're tempted to skip over in your, your daily reading of the word, but really it's just a picture of God kind of setting the foundation for what does it look like to live with me? What does it look like to worship me? So I'm excited to get there, but, but where we are, guys, last week, this week, next week, and then we're going to expound on it in the month of April, is this this crucial movement that ties it all together, and that is this focus in on Moses. Last week we were talking about how Moses is kind of this Old Testament picture of what Jesus would do for us in the New Testament. So as we're reading through the Old Testament, as we're reading through Exodus in particular, and we're seeing the life of Moses and what God is teaching the people, what God is doing, we're getting a glimpse of Christ. Right, so we saw that last week. We're going to see it this week in, in part of chapter 19. We're going to see it next week in a little bit of 19, a little bit of 20. And then for the whole month of April, we're going to really dive in on, man, who is this Messiah that God has given to us? And the whole month of April, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. John and I are going to kind of tag team teaching through the book together. So you'll get to hear uh, John's wonderful preaching again. And, and really, guys, this, this movement is, is crucial who is Jesus? What does he come to do? What does God do for us through Christ? Because our temptation is, okay, we've been delivered. We've been redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. Now what do we do, right? We, we see the exodus, and then we skip to the laws and the regulations. Like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What does the Christian life look like? But this center picture 
of who is the Messiah, what does he come to do, what does that mean for us, we, we cannot, we cannot leave that behind. So we are going to be in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. Last week I told you guys we're not going to be able to perfectly cover all of who the Messiah is in a couple of weeks because that's, that's just impossible to do. So we started the picture last week. We said, okay, what does God send his Messiah to do? And the two first pieces, to lead us to glorify God and to reconcile us as his image bearers. That's where we started last week. We're going to build off that this week to say, okay, God sent his Messiah to establish his covenant with us to consecrate us, and to draw us to himself. Three more pieces of the puzzle. Two words in there that are really key, the covenant and the consecrate. We'll talk about them in a little bit because those are, those are some theological words to unpack. But we are in 19, chapter 1, or verse 1. We're going to go down to verse 20. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And while they encamped in the wilderness, there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people of Israel answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, okay, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day and do not go near woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, and with a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke... And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Father, as we are unpacking your word each week, God, we've been grateful to have been walking through Exodus and to get to see the story of you just forming your people, God. Teaching them what it would be to, to be in your image. Teaching them 
what does it mean to be the people of God, Lord, being very patient, very gracious, as you have taught them. Father, we, we see as we're making our way through the book that, that you have made a intentional emphasis to teach us who, who is your anointed one. Who is the one that you have set aside to deliver us and to make our redemption possible? So, Father, as we, as we see bits and pieces of, of what you've done for us in Christ and Moses, Father, give us a deeper understanding of, of your love for us demonstrated on the cross. Father, let us be reminded of things we may have heard about Jesus because there are some very clear parallels to the New Testament in here. God, may we not stray from who you are and from what you've done for us, not desiring to just stay content in the deliverance piece and, and never move on. Father, not too eager to move on to the, okay, God, but what does the life part look with you, but, but be content to stay in the sweet middle with you, God, trusting that you, you do empower us, you do encourage us, you do continue to show us what you would have us do next. And it is in your holy name we pray, amen. Guys, as we are unpacking this this morning, the first piece of our puzzle is that God sent our Messiah to establish his covenant with us. Okay, If you look at the first six verses of chapter 19, we start to see this, this covenant language coming back into play. And, and when we talk about covenant in the Old Testament, we're, we're simply referring to this promise that God has given that if his people will do a certain set of things, then they will be his people, he will be their God. So as he's, this covenant language comes back into play in the first six verses here, you see about three months after Israel has left Egypt. So this is kind of where we're at in our timeline. Three months after the Exodus, God comes to them as they camp at the foot of Mount Sinai in verses 1 and 2. And there he calls Moses to come up the mountain into his presence so that he can you know, turn around and go give a message to the people in verse 3. And we see this covenant language come back in verses 4 through 6, where God tells Moses, hey, remember how I've delivered you and redeemed you, and then, and then here's, here's the covenant. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, verses 5 and 6. So Moses is then faithful. He gathers all of Israel's elders together and he shares with them what God has said, verse 7, before he then goes back to God and says, hey, wonderful news. The people have agreed to this. They're, they're going to follow you in this in verse 8. And then if you unpack the, the little bits and pieces of the covenant in there, you see God tells Israel, okay, here's, here's your piece. Israel, you are to in, obey my voice and keep my covenant, right? It, it's similar to what God has told Abraham, what God told Isaac, what God told Jacob, and Jacob becoming Israel, the father of this nation, that they were to obey the instructions he gave, the directions he gave, whatever commands he taught them, they were to obey his voice. But guys, when, when Moses also implies, keep my covenant, if we are going to be in a position to obey God, it would make sense we have to be in a position where we're going to hear him to begin with. So part of the covenant is, is not just being obedient to what God has been telling us, but it's also keeping ourselves in a place to hear God to begin with. I mean, a lot of our struggles, honestly, it's not because we don't 
hear from God, it's because we don't even work to keep ourselves in a place where we'd be able to hear from him to begin with. And as God is telling Moses to not only obey my voice but keep my command, he's tying this back to the covenant that has been being passed down. He says, this, this is the same covenant that I've been giving to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. God has earlier in Exodus, we saw he passed it to Moses, and now Moses is passing it on to the people. And if they're faithful to do this, God shares, okay, here's my side of the covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Guys in there, there's, there's so many promises for us. There's the promise that we are valued as his people, a treasured possession among his creation. I mean, maybe that, that's the word you need to hear today. As, as part of the people of God, we are a treasured possession among his creation. We see he's going to establish his people as a kingdom of priests, a people if you guys will, will see later, what was so special about the priests is they were the only ones who could go into the presence of God because they could make the sacrifices. They could make the people right with God. God says, I'm not just going to have some people do that for you on behalf. I'm going to make you an entire kingdom of people who can draw into my presence, who can be redeemed with me. And not only that, he says, I will make my people into a holy nation, a nation that would literally reflect all of who he is to the rest of God's creation. Amazing, right? Amazing that this is God's end of the bargain for us in this, this covenant. And all of this is given through the Messiah, right? God takes Moses aside and he says, I need you, Moses, to go take this to the people, and so just as we see this covenant mediated to Israel through Moses, we have received it today through Christ. Guys, what this means for us as we're trying to unpack, okay, I get there's, there's this covenant language. What do I do with this? Guys, this, this shows us a very clear picture of who we are in Christ, right? That if Christ has made God's covenant available to us, then we are living as followers of Christ, as people of this covenant, Right, that we are to be obeying the voice of God and keeping his covenant. We, we are to be actively trying to see, okay, God, you know, I, I have your word right here, so I get, I get the image of you and I get what you desire of us. But, Lord, I also understand through rhythms of prayer, rhythms of fasting, rhythms of Sabbath, rhythms of silence, times where, God, I need to physically work to remove distractions so that I can hear from you. Right? We, we are called to not just obey God, but to actually work to be able to hear from him. We see the promises, guys, that we are valued, right? That is, as followers of Christ, because God's Holy Spirit dwells within us, we are, we are valuable to God. We are a treasured possession among his creation. We see we, we are a people redeemed, guys. We, we are a kingdom of priests. I mean, that, maybe it's, we're a little too far removed to deeply appreciate this, but at this time, God's people had never really truly been in his presence. We, we've seen the pillars of fire and of smoke as they've been leading the people. God has always been around them. Now God is physically right there in front of them. But guys, if you and I are followers of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have God's presence within us. What a, what a promise, 
that we get to have, that we are, we are, we are redeemed. We are truly redeemed people. And we also see, guys, we're, we're purposed. If we as followers of Christ are also being made into a holy nation, then God has purposed us to bear his image before the rest of his world. And if we see that this is who we are as individuals in Christ, guys, then this is what we do as a church. Right? If we are the gathered body of believers, the gathered body of image bearers, his people, this covenant right here pertains to us. That as this, this covenant has been passed on through the generations of Israel to God's people, his image bearers in the world, we have gotten to receive this as the church. The church is to obey the voice of God and to keep his covenant. Guys, that's, that's what you've seen over the past couple weeks as we've been talking about. What are these new rhythms of ministry that we're doing together with the small groups and the connections? All of this is to help us grow together so that we have rhythms of time together, rhythms of prayer. As we grow, we'll probably introduce rhythms of fasting. We can encourage one another to keep the Sabbath. That'll be, that'll be another sermon, just at how desperately we need Sabbath rest. We are to be obeying these things so that we can hear from God and to live out what he's called us to do. Guys, we see that we, the church, the church is valuable. God's treasured people isn't necessarily a nation, it's even bigger than that. It is his church, that, that we are part of a, a global body of people who have been made right with God and who are bearing his image to the rest of the world. This is not something we do by ourselves. And because of this, guys, the, such a high holy calling has been placed on us as individuals. God has given us this place together, the church, where we get to grow and we get to do this in community. Guys, we also see then the church is to be redeemed. And I've been thinking about this this week that uh, there's a couple different directions we could talk about it. But one of the things that, that is a distinctly Baptist idea is that the church is to be regenerate. That the, the members of the church are to be believers, to be followers of Christ. And it's, it's one thing that the, the Baptist church fathers a long, 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 long time ago decided, you know, when we're seeing this word, we're seeing... At God's people, that when they gather together, we want them to reflect the image of God. Therefore, Baptists practice the regenerate church membership. So while, while anyone and everyone is welcome to be a member of the church and to come and to gather and to be here with us, right? That, that we desire the church to be the fellowship of the restored, the body of the redeemed. So guys, as, as we've been talking about church membership as we've been talking about what it's like to be right with God the past couple weeks, this, this is another layer of this. If this is true, guys, for us as individuals, it's also true for us as a church that the church is purposed. We, the church, have been tasked with the mission of bearing God's image and leading others to do likewise. And man, I, I hope you guys hear that is all over the language of the mission, the vision, the values that we've been working for the past nine months Together, we desire to be a community on mission, submitted to Christ and committed to disciple making. And it just it just all flows from there. And we see this because our Messiah, God sent Christ to establish his covenant with us. Now, there's just one piece of the puzzle. We also see not only has he come to establish his covenant, he's come to consecrate us. This is as we continue in verses nine through 13. That God commands Moses to go out and to consecrate 
the people of Israel in verses 9 and 10. Consecrate, guys, is, is, a, is a deeply theological word. I don't know if you guys have ever used the word consecrate outside of the church or a Bible study. That's okay. Uh, it doesn't really come up that often, but it, it really just means to set something aside and declare it holy. So what, what God has told Moses to do is to set the people of Israel aside and declare them as holy. And so as he tells Moses to go consecrate the people, he tells them, okay, and this is, this is how you go do this. In verse 10, Israel was to wash their garments. In verse 11, they were to keep themselves clean for three days as they were preparing themselves to receive God's presence. Verse 12, although they were going to be clean enough to be in the midst of God, they, they still weren't totally holy yet. God, God was not calling all of them up onto the mountain. That was, that was just going to be for Moses. And he tells them, look, this... This is how serious my holiness is, okay? Not only are you allowed to not come up the mountain, none of you guys should even touch the mountain. And I will put to death any who don't listen to me in this, God's instructions in verse 13. In 14 and 15, you see Moses goes down from God's presence, and he does just that. He consecrates God's people. He sets them aside. He leads them through these instructions in verse 14 and 15. And he, he adds to this, this phrase to not go near a woman. And I, I want to be just really clear, really quick aside, uh, this is in no way a statement about a, uh, whether women were going to be less righteous or less holy than men or less valuable. No, no. This is, this is Moses teaching the people, you're about to go be in the presence of God to unite yourself with God. Do not go around and start uniting yourself with other people while you're preparing to unite with God, okay, he's, he's telling them to wait for at least three days. So the picture forming here, as Moses is getting these instructions from God to consecrate the people, and as the people are being faithful to live it out, guys, we see that the Messiah was required for consecration, okay? In order for the people to be set apart, God did this through Moses. God sent one to go accomplish this on his behalf. Israel was not was not capable of doing this on their own. So the Messiah was required for the people to be consecrated. Consecration also required the people to prepare themselves. Guys, sometimes when we talk about salvation as something we receive, we forget that if we are holy and we are set apart, there is a work we're called to do. That, that God was literally telling his people, you're with the Messiah, but you have to work to keep yourselves holy so that you can receive my presence, the consecration required a lifestyle change. And guys, you also see here that being in God's presence is an intimate act. Okay, literally the command in verse 15 for the people to remain pure for three days, certainly it was meant literally because we, we know from just the way the Bible talks about, talks about intimate relations that this is a picture of something else. So it's a dual nature command. It was meant literally, but the Bible does compare the act of uniting ourselves with somebody else, either the language of sex or the, the language of marriage. They're typically used also to mirror what our relationship with God looks like. The Old Testament often describes God's people as being faithless or unfaithful. Faithless Israel, unfaithful Judah in a lot of the prophets. And he describes their sin as prostitution, right? Kind of a a covenant violation, right? The same covenant that we've talked about, they've now kind of cheapened that by running around with other things. 
And the New Testament describes our union with God as being one of marriage. Guys, the church is the bride of Christ. And so if we are the bride of Christ, man, we, we are called to be a faithful bride to our husband being Christ. This command was given to keep Israel from just uniting themselves with whatever they wanted to so that they could prepare themselves to be united with God. So guys, what this means for us as a church, man, our, our consecration demands life in the spirit. And if, if there is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God, right, that we need his Messiah to set us apart, then we tend to get this when we talk about salvation, we talk about kind of our initial, remember last week we went over the big fancy words, our justification. We get that when we're made right with God. But what does that look like for our, our daily living? That our consecration demands life change. If we're set apart as holy and we can't make ourselves holy, then we need the life of the Holy Spirit to be living daily change, transformed by the Spirit within us. And guys, what that looks like, the life of, in the Spirit is a life of covenant. There's, a, there's an interesting phrase that I'm sure you guys have heard of because I've, I've grown up with it. When you hear people talk about um, being married to their work, being married to their jobs, you're usually describing somebody that is spending a lot of time and a lot of energy on something other than like who they're actually married to. I mean, we, we have this colloquial way of talking about people that are really, really deeply invested in one way but it's interesting to me, as I thought about this this week, we use the word marriage. We say, oh, he's, he's just married to his job, right? Or, hey, so-and-so, you better be careful. You're, you're starting to be married to your school, to your sports. We use the word marriage because deep down we really understand there's some sort of covenant that we were created for that we are, we are breaking here, right? We were made to be faithful to something, and even though we don't, you know, our world might not always know what it looks like. We understand that something is not quite right in how much time, how much energy we're investing in this. Guys, if we were made for this covenant here, then if we have been saved, if we've been brought back into a right relationship with God, we have to ask ourselves to live in the spirit. Does our daily life as a Christian reflect that of a faithful bride, faithful to this covenant that we've been made for? Do we treat, you know, just as we, in marriage, hopefully we're getting to know and grow with our spouses because we love and we honor them. Do we treat our faith the same way? Do we treat prayer and, and time in the word and time just out in God's creation, time with his people? Do, do we treat that as, man, I'm actually getting to spend quality time with the God whose image I'm called to bear? Do we, do we treat our, our service and our hospitality, even, even our tithing? Guys, it's not just like acts of obedience, but it's things we get to do to show God, hey, we see that you love and you care in this way. We're going to love and care in the same way because we love and care about you, God. Do we understand things like silence and fasting? I'll be honest, those are probably the two spiritual disciplines that I struggle with the most. Just, just being still. And fasting, actually abstaining, as ways we remove distractions. So we, again, going back to the first point, we actually are working to remove things so we can hear audibly and, and hear from his word from God. And guys, it, just in the, the same vein as the first point, we, 
I talk about this as us as individuals because, I mean, as you've heard in Exodus, we, we, I, we see from Scripture, man, if we do not do this right in our lives, we're not going to get this right as a church. And then we're not going to be able to lead other people to do this well. Life in the Spirit is a life of covenant. And God has sent his Messiah to consecrate us, to, to bring us back into this covenant with him. The last piece this morning, guys, that as he is as he's setting us apart to be holy, as he's showing us what this holiness looks like, kind of the, the big picture of Exodus comes back into play here at the end, or in the, the middle here, I guess, of chapter 19. If you look down at verses 16 and 17, we start to see how God, again, he shows us how he, he's, he's bringing us into his presence. That God has sent his Messiah to establish the covenant, to consecrate us, but also just to bring us back to be with him. On the third day, the presence of God comes down to meet Israel on Mount Sinai, and the people are freaking out, verse 16. They are trembling with fear. But we also get to see in verse 17 this really cool picture of they're standing at a distance, totally freaking out, and, and understandably... There's a lot of smoke, there's a lot of fire, there's a lot of trumpet blasts. There, there is a lot going on that they would have never seen before, right? If, if, if you would see on, on Buffalo Mountain or, or up on near the Cascades, just something like this site going on, we'd be rightfully freaked out. But if you see in verse 17, it is Moses that as the people are standing way in fear, he brings them out of the camp to meet God. And he gives them the confidence to stand at the foot of the mountain to say, Okay, we have no clue what this is. This is very intimidating, but we are going to be drawn into it, not standing back out of fear. In verse 18, as God, his presence engulfs the mountain, they're treated to actually seeing Moses and God communicate with other. And that, man, what a, what a picture that would have been like. That, that would have been like the disciples, Peter, James, and John, getting to see the transfiguration of Jesus. Just like this aha moment of, oh, that's, that's who Moses is. Man, everything that Moses has been doing and telling us, that really is coming from God. And he brings Moses into his presence in the sight of all Israel with verse 20. This fulfills what he told Moses back in verse 9. Hey, as you bring the people to me, I'm going to show them really who you are. I'm going to make sure they have no reason to doubt, Moses, that what I want for them is being communicated through you. And we see a similar pattern with this with, with Christ and his disciples in the New Testament. Guys, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when, when John the Baptist is with him in the wilderness and all of John's disciples are gathered around, and John has been telling them, There's one who's coming who's more worthy. There's one I can't even untie his shoes, he's so much more worthy than I am. That the Spirit comes down and God says, This is my son whom I am well pleased. That is, John is trying to lead people to God. He points to Jesus and says, this, this is it. At the end of Jesus' ministry, at his ascension, the disciples see yet another visible reminder. Yeah, everything he said was true. This is the one that God has achieved his deliverance and his redemption work through. And then he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit and acts to be able to go out and do everything that they've been called to do. It's, it is a pattern that keeps repeating in Scripture that as God is drawing us into his presence, he does that through the Messiah. And he gives us confidence not only to know who he is, but to actually believe in his Messiah. That what God has done through Moses for Israel and what he's done through Christ for us, is, is, 
we're not just taking it at face value that Christ is from God, that Moses was literally in communion with God, passing this on to the people. Guys, what, what confidence. I mean, just as, as John and the worship team were leading us to declare, man, this, this God is what you have done for us through Christ. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not a, something that we're hoping is true. It is a reality. And it's something we see that as, as God's Messiah brings us into God's presence. So what this means for us, guys, it, it is vital. <laughs> it is, is absolutely necessary for us to engage in relational communion with Christ. Okay? Uh, that, is, that is not something that comes natural to us. And that's not something that I, as a pastor, can really make you do. I mean, we could do all the best programming in the world here at the church. But truly, in reality, we, I cannot make anyone really want to grow in Christ and to want to spend time in Christ. But guys, we are seeing here the work of our faith. If, the, if part of that, that goal is to be drawn into God's presence, we have to engage in relational communion with Christ. And it's the same, same theme as the other two points. If we do not engage with that as individuals here, then we will not get to see that collectively as a church. And we will not get to see that in our world in the New River Valley and, and far, far beyond. It really, truly is that simple. Guys, I think the other reality that we have to see here is this is not our default, right? That, that our default is often to expect relational communion to happen first with others, Right? If, if this leader over here is able to be in communion with Christ, then that'll really affect change. Man, if, if our pastor just goes and does this more, then that'll be able to affect change. If, if somebody else was to be brought to Christ, man, how that would make everything different. Okay? It would make things different in the sense that, yeah, now, now they're living with Christ. But guys, the picture we've been seeing all throughout Exodus, and we're seeing it again here in chapter 19, God is preparing his people to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation, to be bearing his image out among the rest of his creation. Guys, that, that God is not waiting for some, ob, some other person to be drawn into a relationship with him so that change can actually happen, that he is desiring for us, for our church, for all those who are calling upon his name to be drawn into communion with him so that he has, he has then equipped all of us to be able to go together and to do likewise in our world. This is why in our new season of ministry here at NRF, we're, we're beginning with a concentrated effort to give each of us opportunities to engage in relational communion. That's, that's about the best I could do, right? I, I can't make you do this, but I can, we could build that into our schedule. We could give you guys as much time as, as we possibly can for you to get to grow together and with one another toward God. This is why we have our, our ID groups and our community groups, right? Both of them, both of them are structured to this end. Our, our community group that meets in our house, first and third Tuesday, 630 it's for all of us to, to just have a space to get to come together, to pray, to, uh, as Hannah mentioned this past week, to encourage one another in testimony of, of how we've seen God at work in our lives, to read the scripture, to, to continue reminding ourselves, and, and to be learning in this together. Then as, as we get into our even smaller groups, our ID groups, Hugh and Kim are leading one right now. Guys, times for us to be held accountable to really go in deep 
right? We, we can cover just this much on Sundays. You get into a community group, we can, we can cover more together. We get into our ID groups, guys. Now we are really getting to be known and to be drawn in to the presence of God. This is why we introduced our connections ministry, right? If we need a relational communion with Christ, we also need relational communion with his people. So we have our, our ministry devoted to, hey, let's make this happen, right? If we want to, to see this be successful in our body, we have a group that's really helping me lead that out here. It's why we remain all in with our children's ministry, our, our worship ministry, our prayer ministry, and our outreach ministry. Those those, those four things were huge when we got here, and look, there is, we are continuing that work, to say the least, right? We need to build in times for us to be able to relate with one another and learn to be drawn into God's presence. We truly believe that God desires us to do that, to work towards being made right with him and to leading others to be made right with him. Guys, we, we see this in all these different pictures of what he sent his Messiah to do, right? If you, you think the last two weeks in general, we see he's, he's, he's set us apart to reconcile us as his image bearers, to consecrate us, to, to, to lead us into this covenant life with him, to draw us into his presence. So as we respond today, let's, I'll give you a few things to consider, and John and the team will come back up and lead us in our final song. Guys, I think the, the first and primary question is just simply, am I living in covenant with Christ, right? Have I, have I entered into this covenant to begin with? The, the, the old language of saying is, man, am I saved, right? Have I asked Christ to be my Savior and Lord? Has he made me right with God, drawn me into this covenant, and if the answer is yes this morning, then, then we'd say, okay, then, then spend some time as we're singing our final song reflecting on, okay, then how strong am I living out this covenant, right? If, if we're using this covenant language, this marriage language, am I a faithful spouse, right? Am I building up the body? Am I building up my life as part of the bride of Christ? And if the answer is, well, I do okay, or I maybe don't do so well, I really could benefit from some sort of accountability in, in helping me keep that. Guys, the past couple weeks we've been saying that's, that's where church membership comes in. That, that's where these small groups comes in. These, these, these ways of accountability of saying, okay, it's with this body, this group of people that we want to move in this direction with. And, and then when we get into our small groups, we say, okay, it's within this community. Man, I, I want to dive in. I want to know what all of this, this looks like. So guys, as you consider these things this morning, join, join with me in prayer one final time and we will close in worship. Father God, I can but tell thee that thou knowest I long for nothing but thyself, nothing but holiness, nothing but union with thy will. Thou hast given me these desires and thou alone can give me the thing desired. My soul longs for communion with thee for mortification of indwelling corruption, especially spiritual pride. How precious is it to have a tender sense and a clear apprehension of the mystery of godliness, of true holiness. What a blessedness to be like thee as much as it is possible for a creature to be like its creator. 
Lord, give me more of thy likeness. Enlarge my soul to contain fullness of holiness. Enlarge me to live more for thee. Help me to be less pleased with my spiritual experiences. And when I feel at ease after sweet times of communion, teach me it is far too little I know and do, dear Lord. Father, let me climb up near to thee and love and long and plead and wrestle with thee and pant for deliverance from the body of sin. For my heart is wandering and lifeless and my soul mourns to think it should ever lose sight of its beloved. Wrap my life in divine love and keep me ever desiring thee, always humble and resigned to thy will, more fixed on thyself, that I may be doing, that I may be more fitted for doing and suffering. In your holy name we pray, Father God.